Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. We are in the middle of a series called Now Showing. We've been going through uh, various stories. We've been in the Old Testament this whole time. Today we finish up our last story in the Old Testament and we go into the New Testament next week. Uh, so if you're you know, tired of the Old Testament, then just maintain today and, and we'll jump into the New Testament next week. But we've been looking at these stories and we've been asking questions like, what does this story uh, tell us? What does it mean? Not so much what's the historical significance behind you know, the Red Sea parting. We're not looking at that. We're looking at really questions. Each and every week we've had a question that gets asked, asked in the middle of our story. And that's kind of been the defining theme throughout the series is this idea of God asking his people questions. And today we get another question as we dive into the story of Jonah. Now this week as I was getting ready uh, for Sunday, I came across this quote. And I want to share this with you uh, because I want to see if what you think about it. Here's the quote I came across. It's from Vincent Van Gogh, the guy who painted, you know, the starry night, self-portrait, doesn't have an ear cut, you know, all that stuff. All right. Here we go. He said this. He said this. It'll be on the screen. Your profession is not what brings home your weekly paycheck. Your profession is what you're put here on earth to do with such passion and such intensity that it becomes spiritual in calling. Now, what I want to ask you is a rhetorical kind of question. You don't have to answer out loud. You don't have to, um, you know, write a note, note about it. But just, is this true? That's all I want to ask you. Is this quote by Vincent Van Gogh, is it true? Is what he said about profession and calling and, and passion and intensity and spirituality, is that true. That's kind of what we're going to bounce around today. Is that true? How are we supposed to find out what we are meant to do? It's a difficult question. It's an expansive question. It's a question that keeps us up at night. It's a question that makes 40-year-olds completely leave their entire life behind in search of something new and something different. It's what keeps 20-year-olds from even staying at a job for longer than a year because they're always on a search for the next thing, that which I am meant for, that thing that I'm called to do. It's, it's the reason that many first dates don't ever turn into wedding bells because we're always searching for what's coming next. What am I meant to do? I was in a Bible study one time. And uh, in this Bible study, we were talking about these, uh, these you know, themes of calling and, and spirituality and, and, and passion. And, and there was a question in this Bible study that, if I'm honest with you, it really made me want to take the workbook and just fling it across the room. You ever been in a, maybe not a Bible study, but have you ever had homework like that? Maybe you were in college and you just, you wanted to fling the book across the room. Well, that's what happened to me because this question came up in my Bible study. It said this, what has God uniquely called you to do? And then the next question right after that was, are you fulfilling God's calling on your life? And the reason I wanted to fling this, this workbook across the room is because it gave me a space about 
a half an inch tall and four inches wide to answer that question. What has God called you to do? Write it in this teeny tiny little space. Like, come on. And so what I did is I felt I felt real rebellious after I thought, okay, I don't want to embarrass myself in front of all these people and fling this thing across the room. So what I wrote was I wrote down that God has called me to everyday obedience. And I felt real proud. Like I got one over on the author. Like, ha, 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 you didn't see that answer coming. That one's right for everybody. I aced this test. I have gotten this right because as long as I follow God every day and I obey every day, then I'm good, right? I'm good. I'll discover my unique calling. And, and one of the reasons that even, even that question is so difficult, one of the, some of the problems that are associated with finding what you're meant to do with your life is that we have so many assumptions, we come to the question with all sorts of different kinds of, of assumptions that we make. We assume, we assume that our purpose is discoverable. We assume that we can find what we're meant to do, that it's actually discoverable. So we search. We search and we look. We look at other people who seem to have found their calling, their niche, their purpose, their sweet spot, and we're envious. But man. They seem to have found it. Why can't I? They, they seem to really be knocking it out of the park with what God has called them to do. But why can't I? Does God have something unique and special for that person to do, but not for me? We assume that, that when we discover our purpose, that it's going to feel wonderfully good. Like, like hitting... Uh, a game-winning walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth to win the game. It's going to feel like that. It's going to feel like hitting your sweet spot where you know exactly what you're doing and exactly that you were created to do it. We assume that it's going to feel really good, and we also assume that it's going to be really profound that it's going to be important and meaningful and worthwhile. And if it's not anything less than that, well, that must not be what we were created to do. Uh, that it's not meaningful enough. It's not worthwhile enough. It's not profound enough. So I must still have not found what God has, has laid out for me to do. We assume that it's going to be huge in scope. And the reason for that, let's face it, in the church world, we lift up stories like that. We lift up stories like Mother Teresa in the slums and the ghettos. And if you don't do that, well, you haven't found your unique calling. You know, if it's not that grand, if it's not selling everything you own and living in a hut in Africa, then it's not what God has meant for you to do. It's not God's purpose for your life. It has to be grand in scope. And when our assumptions don't line up with the reality of our lives, we're left wondering, well, where is my purpose here? What on earth am I supposed to do? And worse yet, when we really think we've zeroed in on it and we really think that we've discovered it, sometimes we find out that we don't really like it. Like, I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing, but God, I don't really like it. It's not that 
enjoyable. God, is, is this, 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 this what I'm called to do? Which brings us to the story of Jonah. If you have your Bibles with you, open them up to Jonah chapter 1. We're actually going to go through the entire story, uh, but I'm not going to read it all, so don't worry about it. If you have like lunch plans at Cracker Barrel, you don't have to change them. You're going to get there on time. 11.15, roughly, 11, 15, 1230. We'll be out of here sometime this afternoon. Um, now, open them up to Jonah chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, don't sweat it. Uh, the, the scriptures that we're going to read are on the back of the program that you were given when you walked in. Also, they'll be on the screen behind me, and you can always look up on your phone if you have the YouVersion app. There's a little live link, a little tab. You click on that and search for vertical. You can find notes and, and stuff there too. Today I've got a three-point sermon for you. All the Baptist people say amen. amen. Three points. Three points. And I'm going to give you the first point before we even read anything because it's really going to um, give us the right lens to read uh, the first three verses of Jonah chapter one. Here's the first uh, point today. And all our main words today start with the letter P. All right. Everybody say amen. amen. You like that when they all line up, you can remember them. Here we go. Your perspective has the potential to distort your purpose. Let me say that again. If you're taking notes on the back of your program, there's a little fill in the blank space. You can write these words in. Your perspective has the potential to distort your purpose, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 and through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And here's what God said to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh. If you have a highlighter that you stick in the cover of your Bible, you might want to highlight the phrase great city of Nineveh. If you're on your phone, just highlight that phrase, great city of Nineveh. We're going to come back to that here in just a second. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa. I grew up in a country church in West Virginia and my pastor preached on Jonah. He said, anytime you run away from the Lord, you always go down. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, Pastor Hall said, every time you run away from God, you always got to pay a price. <laughs> After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish, Tarshish to flee from the Lord. God called Jonah to preach to the great city of Nineveh, the great City. Several times throughout the book of Jonah, God will refer to Nineveh as a great city. But let me tell you, Jonah, there's no way, no how, no shape, no form, uh-uh, whatsoever, would Jonah refer to Nineveh as a great city. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire had attacked and, and, and completely, and pretty much completely annihilated the, the northern kingdom of Israel. At this point, uh, the, the original David kingdom, Solomon kingdom, is split into two, and the northern kingdom is completely wiped out by Assyria. Okay? They're done. They're gone. And, and Jonah, there's no way he would have called Nineveh a great city. 
Even though Nineveh was the largest city for a span of about 50 years, it was the largest city in the world. It was a beautiful city. It was a technologically advanced city. It was a city that you, if you were a citizen of that city, you could be proud of being a citizen of Nineveh because you were on top of the world. It was a great city, but not to Jonah. No, no, no. To Jonah, he would not have considered Nineveh to be a great city. He would have considered it to be a barbaric city. He would have considered it to be a horrible city. It was a city to Jonah full of terrorists, full of people who are the enemy, enemies of God's purposes. I did a little research and I found a, a top 10 list. You got to love top 10 lists. It's like, you know, whatever your perspective is, let's just put together a list and we'll call it a top 10. I found a top 10 list of the most evil empires in the history of the world. Okay, most evil empires in the history of the world. Number one is obvious, Nazi Germany. You know, they didn't even write about it. They just said, look, Nazi Germany, number one, third right, done. No, you don't have to talk about it. It's just pure evil. Okay, number two on the top ten most evil empires in the history of the world, number two, Assyria. The Assyrian Empire. The second, according to this top ten list, and you take it however you want, the second most evil empire that has ever been on planet Earth. Let me tell you a little bit about the Assyrian Empire. When they would go to a city to conquer that city, if, if the people of that city did not immediately surrender at the sight of the imposing Assyrian army, they could pretty much guarantee that many of their heads, arms, hands, their lower lips, they would all be cut off put on a stake and stuck outside the city just to tell everybody, here's, what's hap here's what happens when you don't surrender. Like, like, you don't have to wonder what's going to happen if you don't bow down to the Assyrian army. You better submit in the future. Do you see that head on the stake outside the city? That can happen to you. So you better bow down. The kings, the, the, the king of Nineveh, the king of the Assyrian empire, he would take skulls of his enemies and skin I don't want to get too graphic but he would stretch the skin back over the skull and turn it into the centerpiece for a table or hang it on his mantle okay this is an evil group of people and it wasn't just it's not just that they enjoyed killing people to conquer them. No, 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 no. The king would bring in, uh, bring in subjects, bring in live, alive people, and have them flayed during dinner for entertainment. Okay? They got a kick out of it. They enjoyed watching. I won't even mention the things that they did sexually to their victims because it's too graphic and too gross for your ears on a Sunday morning. They would... They were, it was so evil, they would cut a, a person's hand off before they died so that they could shake their own hand. Okay, that's just, that's just insane. That's just absolutely evil. So there's no way Jonah looks at Nineveh and says, that's a great city. Eventually, they're, they're, they were so evil, eventually it would be their demise because their neighbors, the other countries around them, teamed up set aside their differences, their conflicts. Look, let's just team up so we can wipe Assyria off the map 
so that they never, ever, ever, ever raise back up. And that's exactly what happened. Their neighbors around the, the Assyrian Empire get together to overthrow and completely wipe out Assyria. So much so that when Alexander the Great is going through the area uh, just, a, you know, just a few decades, centuries later, no one even remembers the name of Nineveh. They can't even, he, no one even knows what city they're in because they have been completely decimated. So you can't just hate on Jonah. You can't just act like Jonah didn't want to do what God told him to do because he's just soft. It's not like, it's not like Jonah just had a difficult assignment. Going to Nineveh would have violated Jonah's sense of justice. God, these are evil people. It's rumored that they were so evil when they would capture people, they would force them to listen to the new Miley Cyrus album. <laughs> That's just pure evil. God called Nineveh a great city, but Jonah wouldn't call it that because his perspective, you see what I'm saying? His perspective had the potential to distort his purpose. God tells Jonah, says, Jonah, come on, man. I'm concerned about Nineveh. I'm concerned about the city. I'm inviting you to go do something about it. But Jonah's perspective, how he saw it, distorted what God had purposed in his life. Have you ever used the phrase, I just call it like I see it? Like, have you ever talked to somebody and, you know, they have an opinion or they have an attitude about something and they just say, I just call it like I see it? Have you ever said that? I, I, I've said that, I'll just call it like I see it. But here's the catch God sees the, the barbaric people of Nineveh as a great city. Jonah, how do you see it? Maybe, maybe if you want to call it something differently, you need to start by seeing it differently. How? Do you see it? How do you see your marriage? If you see your marriage as the old ball and chain, well, you're going to call it the old ball and chain, and it's going to become the old ball and chain, and it's going to feel like the old ball and chain, but maybe you need to see it differently. If you see the demands of your life as stressful, they're going to feel stressful, and they're going to become stressful, but maybe you need to see it differently. If you see your kids as a burden, they're going to feel like a burden and become a burden. But if you see them as a blessing, then they're going to become a blessing and you're going to feel like they're a blessing. It's all about how you see it. So how do you see it? Amen. How do you see it? You're going to bad report. Don't, don't see it as, as negative. See it as healed. See, don't see it as a downturn. See it as an opportunity. See it as a growth pattern. See it as a mission field. How do you see it? Maybe you need to see it differently. Maybe you need to see things from a different perspective. Maybe you need new eyes. Don't, don't see things as they seem to be. See them as God says they are. God calls Nineveh a great city. But Jonah, Jonah didn't see that, so Jonah runs away. He runs away and he hops his ship to Tarshish. Now you want to get a tongue twister, try to say Tarshish a bunch of times over and over. It's tough. 
A storm comes, and many of you know the story. If you grew up in church or spent any time in a vacation Bible school, you know that the storm arises, and Jonah says it's his fault, so they throw him overboard, and God brings a big fish to swallow Jonah up. And, and I don't know if the fish was real or if this is just a story. I wasn't there. I do tend to believe that if, the, if God can create the world, then certainly he can cause a fish to swallow and a man to survive. In the, I, don't, but I don't know. I wasn't there. We're not talking about that today. We're talking about the, just the story because the fish plays such a little part. And what happens in chapter 2 is he prays while he's inside the fish. And, and really, you know, Jonah, it had been better to pray before you got on the boat. It had been better to pay before you paid the fare. But so be it. He prays while he's inside the fish and the fish vomits him up on the shore. And, and here's where we pick up the story in chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That's one of the most beautiful passages in the entire book of Jonah. Verse 1, I want to read it to you again. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. This isn't a part of the notes, but, but aren't you glad that, that we serve a God who will speak to you a second time? Aren't you glad that even when you run away, even when you mess things up, even when your perspective distorts your purpose, that God will call you a second time? Aren't you glad that you serve a God who's got call waiting, and if you hang up on him, he'll call you back? Amen. God Amen. speaks to Jonah a second time. Verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh. See, even though Jonah run, God still hasn't changed his view on things. God still calls it a great city. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord this time and went to Nineveh. Here's point number two. This is, this is so awesome. Grace. God's grace can transform your problem into a platform. God's grace has a way of taking what you see as a problem. Jonah would have seen going to Nineveh as a problem. Jonah would have seen associating with the Ninevites and the Assyrians as a problem. But God's grace has a way of transforming your problem into a platform from which you can proclaim his gospel, his, his goodness, his grace, his, his purpose. See, Jonah saw God's invitation as a problem. And because he saw it as a problem, he ran away. But God has a way. God has a way of turning problems into platforms. Even when you run away, even, even if the enemy provides a ship to take you in the opposite direction, God will provide something greater than a ship to bring you back and redirect your route to his purposes. You see, the story of Jonah is not about a fish. It's not about a boat. It's not really even about the city of Nineveh. The story of Jonah is about the power of the grace of God working in our lives even through and in spite of our disobedience, even after you've run away, even after the divorce, even after the abortion, even after you slept half your life away, even after you cussed out your customer and they said they would never come back, even after you lost a job because really you were just too lazy, even after all that, God will speak to you a second time 
and turn your problem into a platform. So what happens when Jonah finally gets to Nineveh and he finally kind of takes hold of what God is calling him to do? Verse 4, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, because Nineveh was a big city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And look what happens, verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. Revival breaks out in the city of Nineveh. The, Jonah goes on to tell us through, through the book that the people of Nineveh declare a fast and repent and put sackcloth on, asking God to relent from what he has, he has foretold would happen to the city. Even the, the revival gets to the king, and the, the king issues a decree that a fast throughout the entire land would take place to see if God would relent. And look what happens in verse 10. It says that, that God relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. That must have been a pretty good sermon that Jonah preached. That must have, that must have been some pretty good preaching that Jonah does in the middle of the great city of Nineveh. I, if that was me, okay, if that was me, and I, I come here today and, and I preach, and, and, and not only does every hand go up and, and say, I want to find, I want to meet Jesus, we all get saved again, even hope gets saved, it's awesome, you know, not only that, but we go out and people all over Chesapeake, man, they're just, they're just getting saved left and right and giving their life to Jesus, and it's just, it's unreal. I would be ecstatic. But what about Jonah? What's Jonah's response to the revival that God initiates through his obedience? Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. If chapter 3, verse 1 is one of the most beautiful verses, chapter 4, verse 1 is really sad. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. But to Jonah, the, this sentence could sum up the entire book of Jonah. Jonah's attitude about the word of the Lord and God's call on his life. Look at this. But to Jonah, according to Jonah's perspective, the way Jonah saw things, this seemed very wrong. Point number three, Jonah is so consumed with his perspective and problems that he can't see God's purposes. He's so consumed. He's more interested in getting God to validate his opinions and wishes than he is in seeking God's heart about the matter. He wants God to validate his perspective instead of changing his perspective to line up with God. The story of Jonah is essentially about the perspective of God and the skewed and misaligned perspective of God's people. How do you see it? And look, don't judge Jonah for being angry. Don't judge him for being angry because there's a lot of things in your life and in my life that, that God has directed differently than we would have liked. And you and I, we might not hop a boat to try to run away, but how long has it been since you really prayed to him? 
How long has it been since you gave of yourself? How long has it been since you forgave somebody? See, we might not hop a boat and get swallowed by a fish, but we have our own way of running from God. Don't, don't judge Jonah. Relate to him. Identify with him. He trusted God with his life and his purpose, and he didn't like the result. Verse 2. He prayed to the Lord. And look what he says. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew, look what he said, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity, which, by the way, Jonah didn't have a problem with the character of God when he was in the belly of the fish. But now that it's working out for somebody else's benefit, that his perspective is distorted, he doesn't like how God operates. God, I knew that you would do that. Now, now verse 3, now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. You see, Jonah is in disagreement with the very fundamental character of God. And the reason that you and I, the reason that many of us don't pursue God's purposes in our life is because we know how it'll turn out. It's not because we're uncertain. It's not because we're unsure. So often we don't pursue what God wants to do in our lives because we know what will happen. If I forgive them, it'll be like they're getting away with it. If I sacrifice and give financially, I won't have what I want. If I keep my integrity in my job, I won't get the promotion that I deserve. God, I, I don't want to do it your way because I know how it'll turn out. And I don't like those results. Here's our question, verse 4. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Let me rephrase this in a way that, that maybe you can grasp a hold of a little bit better. Are you so consumed with your perspective that you're willing to miss out on my purposes? Is it right for you to be angry? Are you so consumed with how you see it? that you're going to miss out on what I want to do. Well, Jonah goes and he sits down to see what's going to happen to the city. And sure enough, nothing happens. And he's angry and the sun is hot and God provides a plant to grow up and it gives Jonah shade and he's really happy about the plant. It's the, it's the only time in the book of Jonah, I think, that he's really happy with what God's doing in his life. But the next day, as he's sitting under the plant, God provides a worm. And the worm chews the plant, and the plant dies, and it gets hot. And Jonah grows faint, and he gets angry. And God asks him again, he says, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah is so angry that he says he wants to die. And Jonah is so consumed with his perspective that God consumes his perspective so that Jonah can be consumed with God's character. You see, Jonah is so consumed 
with his hatred and his, his, his perspective of, of the evil of the Assyrian Empire. He's so consumed with his prejudices that the only way forward for him is for God to consume his perspective. And sometimes God has to do that with me and you. Sometimes God has to consume our perspective so that we can be consumed with his purpose. It's what happens in Jonah's life. And the book ends there. The book ends there with this lingering question. The book just ends with an open-ended, is it right for you to be angry about what I'm doing in the Assyrian Empire? Is it, is it right? Are you so consumed, Jonah, that you're willing to miss out on a move of God? Are, are you more consumed? Are you more concerned with maintaining your perspective that you can't see the purposes of God laid out in front of you? Are you more consumed with your preconceived ideas about what God should do in your life and should do for you that you can't see his character working right now? How do you see it? It's all about how you see it. So how do you see it this morning? Do you see it as a problem? Or do you see it as a platform? Is your perspective distorting God's purpose? Or is God consuming your perspective so you can be filled with his purpose? Let's pray. God, we gather here this morning really, God, just wanting to meet you wanting to hear a word from the Lord like Jonah had twice in this book. But Lord, there are things in our lives that, that are coloring and distorting our perspective. There are prejudices and, and, and preconceived ideas that we have that is distorting our view, distorting how we see it. invite you, Holy Spirit, to consume our perspective. Consume our prejudices. Consume our preconceived notions. Consume our comfort. Consume our desire to have it work out our way. Consume our need to control the situation. Consume our hearts so that we might be consumed by your purpose, by your character, by your love. This morning, while we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to just ask you to be honest just, just for a moment. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's peeking. I'm just going to call you out. I'm going to call you up here and make a show. I just want to ask you, man, woman, girl, teenager, how do you see it this morning? How do you see it? Have you been frustrated with God lately because he's not working in your life the way you thought he should? Have you been frustrated and, and annoyed with God because he hasn't done what you think he should do in your life? 
been running away from him. This morning, he has provided something greater than your runaway to bring you back and redirect your route. To right here where the invitation is, how do you see it? How do you see it? You say, Pastor Josh, I'll... would you pray for me this morning? As we wrap up, would you just, would you, would you include me in the prayer that you're about to pray? I, I have some frustration with God's direction and purpose in my life, and I'm a little annoyed right now, and my perspective needs to shift. If that's you, would you do me a favor? Would you just slip your hand up and write back down real quick? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hands. I see hands going up all over the auditorium. Thank you. Thank you. I just, I need a perspective change. I need a perspective switch. Just throw your hand up, put it right back down. I just want to include you in this prayer. It's an acknowledgement before God. God, that's me. I, I want you, Lord, to change the way I see things. I want you to change my perspective. Just throw your hand up right back down. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm going to pray for you one last time. Lord, we've acknowledged before you, throwing our hand up, just saying, God, we're the ones. Change my heart. Change my perspective. Change my vision. Change the way I see things. Because they've been distorting your purposes. And I want to be consumed with your purpose, not misaligned with your purpose. So, Lord, change my perspective. I invite you, Holy Spirit, if you raised your hand, would you just say that? Just say, I invite you, Holy Spirit. You can say it out loud and you can say it under your breath. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to change my perspective so that I can see things your way. Just pray that simple prayer. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to change my perspective so I can see things your way. Lord, we believe that you're faithful. We believe that you're good. We believe, God, that you are willing to not only give us a second chance, but a third and a fourth and a fifth chance. We love you, Jesus. Thank you so much for never giving up on us. Thank you for your grace that is encountering us this morning, changing our hearts, changing our perspective. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.